Good morning to each one of you. Thankful to be here. Thank God for his grace and goodness. <clears throat> and I do have a few thoughts on my heart this morning. I trust it will be a help to the congregation during this time of transition and selecting a new pastor. I, <clears throat> my purpose is only to be a help. My message this morning is a warning, and uh, a warning, as I was driving down here today, uh, we have about a oh, 75-mile trip every morning, every time we come one way, but there's, there's all kinds of signs. Uh, in fact, here in Ohio, it seems like we have a lot of warning signs, a lot of the Lit, uh, uh, yellow uh, signs along the road. What they do, they tell you that if there's a curve up ahead or if there's a road work or whatever, they also usually post what the safe speed limit is. Man, you know, those warning signs are only of value if they are given before you get to the curve. If they, if they took all those warning signs and put them on the backside of the curve, uh, they wouldn't do much good, would they? I mean, it's just, if, uh, if the curve, you're coming down uh, the road 55 miles an hour and the curve was only safe at 30, and what they'd done, they posted the sign on the other end of the curve. And as you went around the curve and fell off the road, you could see the sign. Well, it wouldn't be of much help, would it? And that's what warnings are for. Warnings are to tell us of dangers that are ahead, to caution us, to tell us of, uh, of what we, well, need to do, need to Adjust our speed, think what's ahead, and I want to talk to you about that. I've entitled my lesson, Beware of Discord and Conflict That Could Cause Division. I've chosen this one verse of scripture. This is in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, the 25th verse. That there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. The word schism here literally means a tear or a crack. If it's a piece of cloth, it's referring to a tear. If it's a more solid, something like, well, like a piece of wood or metal or concrete, then it would be a crack. And a schism is a break. And uh, it's in, in this particular passage, it's uh, Paul's talking about discord and conflict in the congregation. He's, he's, not, he's not necessarily talking about a separation. A tear, uh, well, you could, you could rip the uh, material into two pieces. But he's really talking about a tear, not a separation. He's talking about a crack and not a complete break. And that's what, he's, that's what the word schism. Schism is a word we don't, uh, I don't think anybody uses it in their everyday language, but that's its literal meaning. It means a tear or a crack. And in this context, discord and conflict in the congregation was resulting in the loss, or resulting from the loss, of their mutual love one to another. He said here, should have the same care one for another. And what he's referring to here, this love is a mutual love, a reciprocal love, and that means it's not a one-way street. It's, the love among believers is a two-way street. It isn't just that I love you, but you love me. It isn't one person, one-sided love. It's a mutual love. 
And that's what Paul was talking about here, having the same care one for another. And interesting, that word care in its original language is a very strong word. It actually means thoughtful, thoughtfully troubled. It means somebody who cares enough that there's a thoughtful consideration about them, especially when you are aware of their needs. That's the kind of love that he's talking about and the care that we have. It's a deep mutual concern for the interests of others. One of the, one of the leading causes of division among God's people is self-interest or people demanding their rights. You know, uh, you ever meet anybody that had the attitude, stand your ground at any cost? Well, that may work in certain situations, but that is not the attitude unless the ground that you're standing on is biblical truth, righteous principles, then stand your ground. But when it comes to your rights, personal rights, your legal rights, your, uh, your, what you believe that you want or entitled to, a mark of true Christian character and humility is surrender our rights for the advancement of the kingdom of God. You don't hold on uh, just no matter what. When you see that your rights are going to cause a problem among God's people, then you ought to give up your rights to advance the kingdom of God. Because the advancement of the kingdom of God is far more important than you are as an individual. Now that's not saying you're not important. But in comparison, the advancement of the kingdom of God is far more important than your own rights. And that's what Paul is talking about here. A mutual concern. And it's this love of concern and caring love. The loss of it, I should say. My friend, that is often the root problem behind much of the division in the church. The loss of reciprocal love makes division and separation much more easy. You know, when you lose your love, it's, it's, it's a whole lot easier to, to separate from a person. When you really love them, Separation is, uh, is painful. It's something, my friend, that you would rather not do. And as Paul said in another place, as much as life in you, live peaceably with all men. And in the kingdom of God, I have been saved now for nearly 70 years. But I've seen so much of people, my friend, literally destroying the work of the kingdom of God for some personal interests of their own, for some right that they claimed they had, they had a right to do that. And, and in one sense, that may be true. But as Paul said in another place, all things may be lawful, but all things are not expedient. And expedient means to the, to the advancement of the kingdom of God. It may be lawful, but if it causes a problem, then it's not expedient. Amen? Division, listen to me, division is a real danger for this congregation at this time. This time of pastoral transition is a dangerous time for any congregation. I have, as I said, I have lived and observed, not only personally, but from a distance, other situations. And one of the greatest, my friend, dangers is conflict and division arising during this time. Very few, listen to me, very few churches avoid 
division of some kind. Sometimes it's just a few that leave during this time of change of pastors. Other times it has been, my friend, a complete separation, a division to where one group went off and started a congregation, a separate congregation. And I say again that it is during this time, you know, the problem is that often the divisions already existed. They were just below the surface. The conflict, the tension, the problem was, was there. The change of pastor did not create the problem. The change of pastor simply exposed the problem. It was already there. It was something, my friend, that, that had been, in some cases, uh, there for a very long time. And the change of pastors provides an opportunity for hidden rifts to be exposed and come to the surface. I don't know why that is, but I do know that that is true. I have seen it <laughs> repeated again and again. And again, my message is a warning. I'm telling you before it happens. If I preach this message after this happened, then it wouldn't do it wouldn't do a whole lot of good. It might do some good, but it wouldn't do a whole lot of good. It's being forewarned. In fact, that's what a warning is. If it's not if it's not before the crisis, then my friend, it's of very little value. As I've said, I have lived long enough in the kingdom of God. You know, let me just digress a, a moment here. But when I first was saved, God kept me blind to some things. There's a dark side to Christianity. And this dark side is conflict and, and tensions and in, inner, inward fighting in the church. But God kept me blinded to that. As a young Christian, I thought everybody was okay. I thought everything was okay. I was happy. And it was only after I became a little bit more mature and uh, grew in, in faith and in strength and, uh, and stability in my Christian experience that I began to see, my friend, as I said, some of the problems among God's people. I've had experience along this line personally. I want to mention two or three of them here. First of all, in, in my first full-time pastorate, there was division in the congregation when I became pastor, and the division was over the former pastor. The, for whatever reason, and I'm not going into all that detail, but there was a, almost the church was almost split in half as far as feeling. Some were for the pastor, some were against. And when I became pastor, I was aware of that because the former pastor informed me of that, of the problem. But after I became pastor, and by the way, I was a young man at that time, only 22 years old when I became pastor. I had been preaching for about five years because God called me when I was 17 years old. And I began preaching uh, almost immediately. Uh, Sister Yoder uh, reminded me of that the other day. And she used to sit in the audience and hope that I would be able to preach 10 minutes, you know. <laughs> because I made a vow to God early on that I was not going to preach something that I did not know. I, I was not going to take a subject that was bigger than me and try my friend to handle that. And so I only preached what I knew. And I preached very fast. In fact, I talked so fast you, you had better keep up. And at the end of the sentence, I would just, instead of saying Jesus, I'd say, gee, and go on. I mean, I just... I would cut it off, and, but 
By the time I was 22 and had preached for five years, I had a little bit more experience. Some people did not believe I was up to the task. (laughs) And I really wasn't. (laughs) A divided congregation, a young pastor, 22. That's pretty young to me now as I look back. (laughs) But God enabled me. Service by service by service. God enabled me. And the division was very obvious in that congregation. Uh, They avoid shaking hands with each other. Uh, It was a much smaller building than this, much smaller congregation than this. And there were two rows of pews and aisle down the middle and aisle on each side. And people would actually move out to the outside aisle to keep from shaking hands with somebody in the middle aisle. I mean, it was obvious. They, they, were, not, they were not trying to hide it. It was very obvious. And as I had to deal with that, but I, I decided to address the problem head on. And I did have some success, but not with everybody. But one Sunday evening, I was impressed to preach a message. And I got up and announced my title. And I said, there are families that we do not want in our church. Oh, man. When I announced my subject, there Families we do not want in our church. You could feel the tension in the air. I mean, they thought, what is this young preacher going to do now? You know, what is he going to do now? And what I'd done, I got two folding chairs, put them down in front of the pulpit. I got around and behind them. And I said, I'm going to call up those families, the husband and the wife, And I'm going to tell you why we don't want them in our church. Oh, the tension even increased. Now, before before that service started, I had went to some young people. And I had asked them that when I called on them to come up. And they came up and sat a boy and a girl. They were not married and they were not, of course, any family. And what I'd done... I, I took, well, different words. For an example, I took the girl, I called her misinformed, and the man ignorant. And I said, you know, this is a family, misinformed and ignorant about what's, what's really going on. And I said, then I would expound on that. And then another one, And I'm just giving you a few examples. Misguided and unwise. And all the the women or girls, I started with a miss. Misunderstanding and deceived. And then I went down through that and preached. In that division, in that congregation, there were two people that were leaders. Of the, of the group. Normally, uh, in the division, uh, 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 somebody leads the group or, or the group looks to somebody for support and a leader. And on one side was a man, on the other side was a woman. And I preached that message. And this man, this brother, my friend, whom had previously resisted all of my efforts to try to move him. He came to the altar. That little simple message. I mean, and it it was a surprise to me. But he came to the altar. And I went down there and knelt down beside him. And, And he said, Brother Yoder, I see myself. Through your message, I see myself, and I'm ashamed of what I've done. 
and said, will you pray with me that God will forgive me? And I did. And I told him, I said, before God will forgive you, you have to go and make it right. One of the things, I'll just tell you this, one of the things was that when these groups were fighting one another, so to speak, they told lies, half-truths. They told things that were not the truth. Now, I'm going to tell you something, friend. When you get to where you're twisting things to support your position and not being totally truthful, you're headed for trouble. You're just headed for trouble. That's all there is to it. Even if it's painful and embarrassing, tell the truth. Speak the truth. Speak, my friend, not what you've heard, but what you know. And I told, there was a lie told on, there was a lie told on this woman who was leading this group of, that opposed the pastor. And, and I, when I heard the lie, I began to asking people, who told you that? Who told? Well, finally, I run it down, and the one who started it was that man. He's the one that started the lie. And so one Sunday morning as he was going out, I always stood at the back of the church and shook hands with everybody. And as he was going out, I said, I want to talk to you. And we stepped aside. And I said, there's been a lie told on so-and-so. And I said, I have, I had searched it out. And I find out that you're the one that started it. You're the one that started that lie. And you know, he just shrugged his shoulders. And said, well, said lies get told on bad people as well as good people. And, and that really troubled me that he had come to the place where telling a lie was not a big deal anymore because he felt that they were wrong and so it was okay for him to lie. It's never okay for you to lie, friend. Believe me. When you lie, you're doing the work of the devil. I mean, that's it's a plain truth. When you lie... You're doing the work of the devil. Well, while we was praying at the altar, I told that man, I said, I don't believe God will forgive you unless you're willing, my friend, to go to that lady and confess that you've lied about her and ask her forgiveness. And he said, I'm willing. I mean, God had done a real work on him. I'm willing. And I said, tonight... It was Sunday night service. I said, I mean tonight that after we get up from this altar, you and me is going to drive to her house. She happened not to be at church that night. But you and me is going to drive to her house and you're going to confess. He said, tonight? I said, yes, tonight. And he made that commitment and we did that. Sad to say, she did not receive his uh, confession in the spirit in which she ought to. I've dealt with division. If people can see themselves, they can overcome it. If, like in this conflict I just described in my first full-time pastor. When that man seen himself, by a little simple message of misunderstanding and misinformed and misguided and, and deceived and doing things that's unwise, all of that and more. That's the only thing that stops conflict. It's when a person sees themselves as God sees them 
and humbles himself before God and confesses what they've done is wrong. That, that stops the vision, friend. Believe me. I know that. The second thing, I was preaching in a congregation years ago. This was in the early 60s. And back then, we had two-week revivals. Not just one week, but two-week revivals. And I had gone to this congregation... And I'd preach that first week. I poured my heart out to them people. I just, every night I preached with all the energy that God gave me. And there was no results at all. And by the end, by Friday, I started on Monday, and by Friday evening, I knew something was wrong. There's something wrong here. Something wrong in this congregation. And I was not aware of it because I wasn't a member of it. And on Saturday, I fasted and prayed earnestly. On Saturday. And God answered my prayer. And I decided that on Saturday night, I was not going to preach, but I was going to talk to the people individually. And I prayed that day, Lord, don't let there be any visitors. Don't let there be any outsiders. Because what I was going to do would not be understood by some. And I said, let there be no Visitors there, no outsiders. Well, there was one couple from a, not, from a neighboring congregation, but I knew them well, and I knew they would understand. So I went ahead. And the pastor, they didn't have an organ, but before the service, they had a tape recorder by the pulpit, and <clears throat> they had a tape that played organ music. It was just background People coming in, talking, you know, like, like they play here sometimes. And people talked and visited before service started. And I told the pastor that I wanted him to put that tape on and to play it because I didn't want people to hear what other people were saying. And I, they had a, they had a, a, pulpit pew like this, and I sat down, and I called each one of them, individually. I started like this lady, and then this, 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 right down. I called them up and talked to each one of them individually. Now, I know that's, that's not usual, but I'm not a usual guy, to tell you the truth. And I asked them three questions. First, what is your present relationship with God? How do you stand with God? And surprisingly, they were honest with me. Most of them told me that they were not where they ought to be. Some of them admitted they had gone so far as to commit sin. Second question, do you have confidence in your fellow believers in this congregation? And again, most everybody was honest and told me, no, there had been so many things going on, the congregation had lost confidence in each other. Now, <clears throat> to an outside observer, you can't see that. But it was there anyway. And the third question, do you believe that God can bless this congregation in its present condition? And almost every one of them said no. Well, most of them, almost every one, answered me honestly on these questions, except one man. 
He happened to be the treasurer of the congregation, and uh, nothing against the treasurer, but he happened to be the treasurer. And when I asked him these questions, everything was okay. He's okay. The congregation's okay. You know, everything's okay. First thing he asked me when he sat down, he said, Brother Yoder said, isn't this unusual? I said, it sure is. It's unusual. But this is what God laid on my heart. And then after I had talked to them, I simply got up and told them what they had told me. I told them that the bigger part of you have doubts about your relationship with God. And you don't have, you don't have confidence in one another like you ought to. And you don't believe God can bless this congregation. I mean, I just told them, I didn't add nothing to it, just some admonishment. But I simply told them what they had told me. And then I ended by saying that unless they responded that night, I was going home. I wasn't going to preach to them the second week of the revival because it wouldn't do any good in the condition they were in. And they responded. I mean, every person, every adult believer. By the way, that's, I didn't call any teenagers. I didn't call, of course, any children. It was adult believers that I called and talked to. And they responded. Everybody, they either came to the altar or knelt at their pew. I mean, except one man. Except this one man. And he was sitting on the second row on my left. He was sitting in the second pew. And as people were praying, I walked back and I took his hand. And I said to him, if I'm not mistaken, you're the Aiken in this camp. Now somebody said, Brother Yoda, that takes a lot of courage. I don't know what it takes, but I thank God I had it because it did change that congregation. Later on, I found out, I did not know that night, but I found out that man was unfaithful to his wife, had committed adultery. He embezzled several thousand dollars from the congregation. You know, unless we get honest with God, we can play church. I mean, and, and from on the surface, everything looks, looks wonderful. But underneath, my friend, it's not as wonderful as it seems to be. The third thing I want to mention was in December... Of 1985, in the winter camp meeting at God's Acres, I preached on the subject, a divided house. A divided house cannot stand. Those of you that know anything about the history of the Newark congregation uh, knows what happened within some months or a year and a half or so after that? Some of you lived through it. I did not realize while I was preaching how much of a prophet that I really had been. But after I preached that message, I was publicly from the pulpit criticized for preaching that way by some ministers. Some of them got up and said, we're the church of God. There's no division among us. We're God's people. And division is not going to, the gates of hell cannot prevail again. All kinds of things like that. That is a false hope. 
those passages of scriptures are true. But only true if people are meeting the conditions of righteousness and holiness. They're not true, my friend. Just automatically. Mark, my text was, I looked it up. In fact, I, I pulled out that old outline this week and read it. But I used for my text, Mark, the third chapter, 25th verse. And if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Our president at the time of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln, quoted that in supporting the need for a united United States. But it's so true of the church. A, a congregation that's divided against itself, that means one part hostile to another part. Like I described that, that congregation I pastored, them people oh, had such deep feelings, they, they wouldn't even mannerly towards one another. One part planning and scheming against the other part. That's what it means by a divided house. People planning and scheming how, how they're going to get the upper. It's a power struggle. It's a struggle, my friend, for power and control. And Jesus said, cannot stand. It means they will not continue, but they will come to some disastrous consequences. I have seen this, friend, and, and that's why I'm preaching this way. I am warning you. I am warning you with a full heart. Don't go down that path. And if you're on it, repent. Ask God to forgive you. Amen? Amen! It's true! It is absolutely true, friend. There's consequences. Unintended consequences when people begin to act in as I've described here this morning. Division within a congregation foretells of a devastating future. (laughs) You show me a congregation that has this condition working in it, and I can prophesy without, my friend, any fear of being wrong unless they repent. There's disaster in the future. Amen. It is important. To have harmony and unity in any congregation. And that that importance is self-evident. I mean, I don't have to explain that. You know that to be true. No congregation can prosper spiritually without having harmony and unity. That doesn't mean everybody to 100%, but it does mean the vast majority. It does mean that. The vast majority. We live in a time, my friend, where there are conflicting factions in, in, within local congregations. Every church has some that have a tendency to cause discourse and, and, uh, and division. I mean, there's, there's gossips. There's, there, I mean, they're everywhere. There's people, my friend, that run and tell things they're not even sure about because it sounds juicy. Get your facts straight. Amen? And even if you have your facts straight, you don't need to tell anybody except those 
who need to know and have a right to know. Amen? I could go on a little deeper, but I'm not going to along that line. But often it is not open division. It's not uh, actual separation and people going off and forming a, a new church, but it's discourse, contention, and strife within the congregation itself. Most of the time, listen to me, most of the time, this is not absolutely true, but most of the time when churches fail, they have no one to blame but themselves. They done it to themselves. They done it to themselves. And they simply are suffering the consequences of their own attitude and actions. Don't fail to realize that internal strife and conflict can be faithful to any church, even this church. It can be. I'm warning you. I'm telling you, hopefully beforehand, so that you will not come to a disastrous end. I tell you what, I think we all need to heed the warning the Apostle Paul gave to the Galatians in Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 13 through 15. He said this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. He said, we're called unto liberty. That means freedom. Uh, but be very careful that you don't abuse that freedom. There, there's no freedom like there is in the church of God. That's why people are drawn to it. For one of the reasons. There's a freedom. But it's not a freedom, my friend, to do anything you want to do. It's not a freedom that you feel like doing anything that you believe that, that you ought to do. <laughs> it's not a freedom, my friend, that for, uh, allows you to attack. And my friend tear one another apart. He said, bite and devour. Now that's a metaphor of the nature of a wild beast. Now, I, I've never seen it in reality, but I've seen it in videos. I have, have a video called The Planet Earth, and uh, it, they, they show unbelievable things. Those, those guys that took those pictures, I mean, it's amazing. But they do show wild animals devouring one another. That's their nature. You know, that's a, that's a food chain. You know, there's a food chain in nature. One thing eats something, and then something eats that, and something eats that, and something eats that. But talking about biting and devouring means they tear their prey apart one bite at a time until it's consumed. And Paul used that metaphor to describe an attitude that we have to avoid. One bite at a time. One bite at a time. Take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Be careful that you don't destroy yourselves as a church or a car. That's his warning. And he, he, he was talking to the glorious early morning church. Be careful, church. You don't bite and devour. 
and consume one another. That's why I said that most churches that fail have nobody to blame but themselves. Don't allow it to happen. Amen? I'm going to close here. There are many things that can destroy a congregation, but internal conflict and division is one of the worst. It's not the only thing. I mean, I mean there's things like uh, uh, the, the leadership of the church becomes morally corrupt. I mean, the people become morally corrupt. There, there's things that cause churches to fail. But I've, I've centered on one thing here this morning, and that is a spirit of division. A spirit of vision always costs the church dearly. Be forewarned. Be forewarned. A divided house will not stand. Loving Father and gracious God, I come before you, I've delivered what I had on my heart, dear Lord, and you know where it fell. I pray for honest souls this morning. I pray for people, dear God, that need to see themselves as they really are. I pray that thou would bring awakening to those that need to be awakened to the danger that they're drifting into. I ask this morning that Thou would help people to overcome their embarrassment of admitting that they're wrong. Help them to overcome, Father of Heaven, so that they can have peace with you and peace among themselves. Now, Father, I've warned, and it's up to you, Holy Spirit, to talk to the heart and soul of each one that needs what I said. Well, we all need a warning. We all need to be cautious and careful along this line. We all need to Walk circumspectly before the Lord. And I ask of you that thou will bless the few words I've said here today. Bless it to be a real help to this congregation. I'm here to help, Lord. And this is what was on my heart and mind. And I pray that it will benefit these people during this dangerous time in selecting a pastor because there's more at stake here than just getting another pastor and preacher. And that's keeping the congregation together. That's, Lord, that on the other side of this, however it turns out, on the other side, that the congregation will still be intact. That's my prayer, my hope, and I believe it's your desire, Lord, and your will that that occur. Now guide these people. They're going to need wisdom. They're going to need direction from you, Lord. They're going to need something that's beyond themselves. Humanly speaking, they're going to need insight and a wisdom and discernment. <sighs> Help them, Father, to want to know your will enough that they really put in the time to seek and pray for it and be willing to accept it. I ask of you that thou will bless this people. Bless them and help them, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand as they sing verse of song? Page 247. If you would turn to page 247 in your big book. If thou wouldst hide the dear Savior from heaven, walk by thy side from the morn till the even. There is a rule that each day you song, the title of this song, Humble Thyself to Walk with God, is actually a scripture. It's actually recorded in God's word. God, I'm telling you, friends, if you're not humble enough, somebody said, what do you believe humility is, Brother Yoder? It's not putting yourself down lower than what you know you are. True humility is admitting to yourself and to God what you know is really true. That's humility. You admit to yourself and to God what you know is really true. That humbles all of us when we admit to ourselves what we really are. God bless you. I'm through. I'm through. It's in your hands now, friend. The future, the months, and the few years down the road will, I'm sure, prove that what I preached is true, one way or the other, good or bad. It's going to prove what I said is true. God bless you. It's yours now. It's yours. Do what you know you ought to do.